0: hey and welcome to the better you podcast my name of course is Ian Bickle I am your host today I am joined with Johnny Landles. Johnny is the anti-diet fitness coach Johnny has had a turbulent past with yo-yo dieting um, and has found himself similar to myself in the intuitive eating counseling and coaching space helping people that have been on and off diets all of their life that are struggling with their body image ultimately to give them long-term success in today's conversation well it's quite conversational we talk about johnny's journey we talk a little bit about diet culture body image we talk about the pressure that people are under and also how to navigate that so i hope you have a great listen today Uh, feedback appreciated i will catch you at the end Hey, and welcome to the podcast, Johnny Landels. How are you doing today, Johnny?
1: Ian, thank you for having me, mate. Yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm doing good. Uh, it's nice and sunny here where I live, which is rare because it has been chucking it down with rain the last two weeks, nonstop, it seems. But yeah, all good. We are terribly British, straight
0: in with the weather. I am. Uh, it had to be done. I'm in the northeast, and it is lashing down. Uh, raining okay? lots, that's uh, that's northeasterly for raining.
1: Yeah, you're further north than I am, because I'm in, currently in Calderdale, so it's like in between Manchester and Leeds, and right now it's blue skies, which is nice. Yeah, well, I'm in the real north, people say, oh, where do you live, up
0: north, and people are like, oh, Leeds, Manchester, and I'm like, Newcastle, so this yeah. this is the real north.
1: So <laughs> Well, I grew up in Carlisle, Ian, which is just across the way from you, so... <laughs>
0: So we could talk about the weather and UK hotspots for an hour and more. And the real (laughs) north. Yes, the real north. Get into an argument about that. But I think we should get focused in on what we're here to talk about, which is going to be diet culture, men's body um, image. We're going to talk about your journey. And that's where I'd like you to begin, really, Johnny, is like, I've got you on here for a reason um so i'd love to hear who you are um and what you're about
1: yeah man yeah yeah so yeah johnny landall's um intuitive eating coach um fitness coach strength coach i was a, a crossfit coach for a number of years so from the age of 23 to uh, 28 i coached in crossfit gyms Um, starting in like Wales, Cardiff, where I did my master's, um, which was actually in musical theater. And then when I moved to London to make it as a musical theater actor, which never happened. Um, I started working at a CrossFit gym in London, um, part-time and then got a full offered a full-time position and that became my career. I didn't start coaching nutrition until, um, 2015. So when I was 25, and that was because throughout my life i had been like a bigger lad i uh, i'd had different stages of sort of fatness growing up um and even when i was in my late teens uh, i i wasn't fat at all but still internalized a uh, kind of identity as being that way and not not that there's there's anything bad with being that but in being bigger as a teenage boy you get inherently you know, a bit of bullying, a bit of banter uh, from the lads about it, you know, even looking back at my sort of leanest self, which was when I played rugby for a few different teams. um, I remember lads in the rugby team calling me fat. I remember mates of mine calling me fat, particularly if they wanted to rile me up because they knew that that would get to me. Um, So I always had this issue with, with, um, with feeling fat, with thinking I was fat or with, with, with any fatness that I did have, I always saw that as a bad thing. So when I was in my early to mid twenties doing CrossFit, I was super obsessed with being lean to the detriment really of like anything else. So I had done multiple different diets, um, up to that point. And of course, as a bloke, you don't really see them as diets. Like i would never done uh, Slimming World or like Weight Watchers or whatever, but I had done things like paleo or like clean eating or um, Whole30 food challenges. And and that was very much part of the CrossFit culture. But even when I was in um, Wales, which was in the 2012 to 2013 year before I moved to London, I worked at a bodybuilding store After I'd graduated college. So, like, there was a six month period I lived in Wales before I moved to London. And in that bodybuilding store, that was when I was introduced to like protein powders, fat burner supplements, creatine, like everything and anything that you would get in one of those stores. And I'd even had a meal plan for a period of time from the owner of that store because he coached like all of Wales's top bodybuilders. And even he would joke about calling me fat, right? Because I wasn't as lean as bodybuilders would be so there was all of this like internalized um, fat shaming that I had inside of me and so when I was in the CrossFit coaching career I was like trying to get as good as CrossFit as I could I was really self-conscious that I wasn't like lean and shredded like all the CrossFit athletes were and so in 2015 the only reason I started coaching people on nutrition is because I'd invested myself in a personal nutrition coach it was the first time I'd really like Put money on the table for something as opposed to just doing different, like clean eating paradigms or meal plans or whatever that you can find online. And this coach was a flexible dieting, macro counting coach. He was an old rugby friend of mine from Cumbria Rugby Union. Um, so I trusted him. I'd seen all of his before and afters on his Facebook and was like, I want to work with this guy. And I got really shredded, right? So I got really shredded. I got really lean, leanest I've ever been. And I then read everything I could about flexible dieting or from the recommendations of this coach I was working with. (laughs) And then from all of those recommendations, I then took the precision nutrition level one, which is like the base level entry for most fitness professionals getting into nutrition. It's really cheap. It's really easy to do. It's, it's all online. It's very flexible. You know, you, you, you basically can start whenever you want, can't you? Um, and I started then advertising myself as a nutrition coach to help like our CrossFit gym members get on top of their nutrition. Um, so then that was my foray into nutrition coaching. And as my nutrition coaching job grew, which was all based on fat loss, Hey, look at what I've done. I can help you do that too. Um, I moved to Leeds in 2016, 2017 and, um, continued to build the coaching business up until I then left CrossFit coaching. So in 2018, I was like, not CrossFit coaching anymore, full-time nutritionist around 27, 2018 is when I also did, um, the Mac nutrition uni certification in nutrition that both you and I have done. Um, and that was when I built up even more confidence in nutrition coaching, as well as confidence in specifically fat loss coaching. And so that's what I continue to advertise. Um, but throughout this period between like 2015 to 2018, 2019, my weight went up and down like crazy. Right, I had different um mental health episodes for different reasons. There were loads of different things that went on that we'd we'd have an entire episode discussing in terms of like not not performing in CrossFit anymore. Um, falling out with one of my CrossFit gyms in central Leeds and having to move CrossFit gyms um, battling then with the the difference of like not CrossFit coaching anymore and having a new career um, battling with that identity of not being a CrossFit athlete anymore. But the long and short of it is is that I could only maintain a lean of physique through either tracking calories or doing things to me that seemed quite drastic. There was never a way for me to maintain a lean of physique really, unless I was like fasting or tracking calories or doing like things like protein sparing modified fasts, right? Where you'd have a protein shake and a piece of fruit for breakfast. You might have meat and vegetables for for lunch, and then maybe an afternoon snack of another piece of fruit and then a normal dinner um, and maybe some kind of like low calorie dessert. And that was what I was living on around like 2020 around COVID area. I was doing loads of steps training an hour and a half a day, maybe cycling about eating kind of that low calorie quite lean still um but never the weirdest thing is I never felt as lean as I did in 2015 so like any time after 2015 had happened I was always kind of like trying to get back there even though as I'm sure we'll go into because this is a really kind of quick fire history of the last 10 years 2015 um I still was trying to lose weight, even at my leanest. I was like, I was trying to hit a a number in my head rather than focusing on like what was in front of me. Um, But anyway, so 2019, 2020, I'm like, fuck, I can't maintain this leanness without being quite restrictive. Yeah, I'm trying to teach all of these people that they can like lose fat, keep it off for life, and they just need to track calories for a while and then I'll give them the habits they need to kind of maintain their physique. But that wasn't something that I was capable of doing. And I was realizing within my clients as well, they would either get a bit of progress plateau and then drop off, or they might not even make progress at all. Um, And and kind of all of the coaching that I had been taught was like, hey, if you're giving them these numbers and things aren't happening, then the client's lying. You know, like everybody lies, like it's non-compliance. It's a lying issue. You need to try and find a way to get them to be compliant or to tell you the truth. Like that was the messaging that we were taught. but in 2020 i kind of went through another bout of depression i I gained a bit of weight again and i was just feeling really shitty you know i remember chatting to my brother in this very house um uh, and being like you know i just uh, i don't feel good i don't i don't feel like i'm a good coach i don't feel like i'm helping anyone um and he was trying to help me kind of overcome that to say what what kind of messages can you tell yourself to, to lead to more confidence um And I worked on that for a bit, but what really helped was doing Precision Nutrition's Level 2. So Precision Nutrition's Level 2 was advertised more as a coaching course. It was like, here's how to coach people. Here's like an insight into motivational interviewing, um, coaching techniques, coaching processes, onboarding clients, going through that kind of ongoing monitoring assessment and stuff. And through that course, I was introduced to a couple of concepts I'd never really come across before, which were self-compassion and disordered eating. And it was those two modules of focus that really opened my eyes to a lot of, a lot of my behaviors up to that point had been incredibly unhealthy, really just from from the mindset that I had taken them to the obsession, obsessive level, I'd taken them to, um, and And I started to see kind of all of the back history of my nutrition and weight management who all been from this very disordered place. and And that's when I started to slowly pivot more towards intuitive eating, because that, that that's what led me to discover that whole paradigm. I towed the line between like weight loss and, and and intuitive eating for a long time, kind of like a use of like skills in eating and intuitive eating as a way to like help people manage their weight. Um, and then as I learned more and more about the health, at every size movement and, and everything there, that was when I started to really change my mind about, um, fatness, um, as well. And, and body image and things like that. And and that's, as I slowly pivoted more towards where I am now, which would be talking to people more about their health and fitness from a weight neutral perspective, um and from a relationship with food and body perspective as opposed to a very fat loss focused perspective um as it was when i started
0: awesome man great great there's quite a few things i've pulled out i know Uh, i I definitely bounced
1: forwards (laughs) and backwards in time it's always always really hard for me to say that in any coherent way
0: you know um obviously we spoke on your podcast beyond the Mirror. about my history within bodybuilding, but I'm very curious to what your meal plan consisted of. As um...
1: <laughs> I could tell you it specifically. Yeah,
0: do do I know it already?
1: Well, <laughs> I, I can literally tell this to you word for word. Still, what it was. Yeah. Um, and it was six meals a day. Oh, it was good. it was labeled meal one, meal two, meal three, meal four, meal five, meal six, right? And it mm. was like even said in terms of like specific timings. Um. <clears throat> and meal one was uh, four eggs cooked in coconut oil uh, with like dark green leafy veg. That was it. Um, meal two was uh, 40 grams of like two scoops of protein in a shake with water. Um, three rice cakes and a teaspoon of Meridian or natural peanut butter had to be that one and half an avocado. Meal, uh, yeah, and 150 grams of natural yogurt. Meal three was 150 grams of chicken breast with uh, 40 grams of basmati rice and dark green veg. Meal four was 150 grams of chicken breast, 200 grams of sweet potato and dark green veg. Uh, Meal five was 200 grams of beef and dark green veg. And then meal six was, uh, I think, 150 grams or 200 grams of cottage cheese and a scoop of protein and maybe a bit of peanut butter to taste.
0: There you go. Is this where the kind of the hatred of cottage cheese began? Like the... Yes. Like my tuna in brine days are gone off my... Yeah. But I I think, um, I mean, the point is, hopefully, if people are listening (laughs) and listening to that you know in regards to how regimented that is and how long were you able to kind of stick that one out
1: oh I stuck with that for a while so I I started doing that when I was in 2013 right so I graduated so my, my um master's in Cardiff lasted from January 2012 to December 2012 so graduated in January 2013 and then I Didn't have my graduation ceremony until the summer of 2013. And what I did is that I stayed living in Cardiff with a friend of mine from the CrossFit gym for those six months rather than moving back home. And that was when I started working for like, I started, I actually started working for Next because I had retail experience and got a part time job at Next around February, March, I think. And it wasn't until I noticed that there was a bodybuilding store just like five minute walk away from where I was living when I put a CV in there said I'd got retail experience and it was like March, they offered me a full-time job and I worked there from then like March. And I said like March, April until July when I moved to London. And I think I started the meal plan in like April of that year, 2013. (laughs) And I moved to London in summer, 2013 and I was still doing that meal plan before I started working with that flexible dieting coach in 2014 december 2014 so Mm -hmm. i did that meal plan mostly for for like a year and a half whereas Mm -hmm. like i might have periods where i'd sort of sack it off for a bit or i'd i'd always have refeed days on the sunday and refeed days just turned into cheat days but the refeed days on sundays turned into like oh let's just start saturdays and so basically i was like following that meal plan through the week and -hmm. then just eating whatever i wanted on the weekend and it was that level of um inconsistency and ill discipline That led me to, uh, to work with this flexible dieting coach in December of 2014, which is why then 2015 was when I was like the most shredded. Um, <laughs> but it was like, because flexible dieting for me was like, holy shit, what is this magic? Do you know what I mean?
0: Up until yeah, sit, that point, it, me,
1: yeah. it was all clean eating based up until that point, paleo zone, um, whole thirty. And then, and then working and um, the, with the bodybuilding coach, you know, the bodybuilding store had a mantra called like "Eat Clean, Train Dirty." Hmm. I had that on a wristband.
0: Oh well, you you must have been dedicated, and a t-shirt. <laughs> do you think? Um, obviously, we're going to touch a little bit on diet culture as a whole, but do you think? Obviously, when we were kind of doing this and. Uh, it was put on our radar about flexible dieting and tracking counting calories. Do you almost think like average Jane and Joe are just catching up with this sort of stuff? Because it seems super prevalent at the moment, like with the, the, the obsessive nature around tracking mm-hmm. calories and it almost being the new go-to for a lot of people. Like I hear people saying, oh, I need to go back to tracking my calories and stuff like that. Yeah. Which for me, it's just the equivalent of saying, "Oh, I need to start being good again, or eating clean yeah. again, or, or doing X, Y, and Z." I always say being it's back more, on it. Yeah, it's, it, you're doing stuff, but you're you're not being. So, do you think, like in many ways, it's similar, like the the kind because we're talking very much about intuitive eating uh, and things like that, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of people will eventually, and I would love for them to eventually come round to. Um, Mm. but I I feel like this tracking of calories is, is hugely prevalent again.
1: It is. And it's, it's so funny how it's basically just Weight Watchers in a different bow because Weight Watchers was just based on points and the points were based more on the calories of the food than they were anything else. It was Slimming World that was more demonic of like high fat foods and had free foods as carbohydrates like weight weight watchers is in that model weight watchers is just just points and I remember my mum doing weight watchers and being fucking starving when Mm. she was at her lowest weight because her points were so low and it's like it's that methodology with counting calories of like we need to cut we need to keep cutting calories if you're not losing weight and it's like where does that end and I think it is the most prevalent because you had James Smith blow up in popularity um with his with his books and his like whole mantra of like you know calorie fucking deficit and and i was that guy on the internet would that would scream it's as easy as a calorie deficit because that's that's what worked for me unbeknownst to all of the reasons why that had worked and then all of the kind of glaring signs of how i had not maintained that loss and all of my horrific like body dysmorphia around i mean when you knew me when when you met me sorry in like 2017 2018 i look back at pictures and videos of myself then and i'm like holy shit like i was like pretty lean and pretty stacked and in those times i was like counting my calories and trying to lose weight because i wasn't as slim as i was in 2015 right like that's how fucked my mindset was and it's that's the thing i think with diet culture it's when you apply flexible dieting <laughs> it's like i for blokes in general as well you don't relate to the word dieting because you're not dieting. You're like, Oh yeah, but it's flexible dieting. It's science. Like I'm, I'm not like, I'm not doing weight watches. This is science. Like there's a method to this. This works because I've got my, you know, I'm not just counting calories. I'm counting macros. You know, this is working because I've got my protein in the right place. And my, my carbs to fat ratio is in the right place. Um, And I've got a plan where like I'm doing this and I'm also doing all this activity. And then I'm going to, I'm going to reverse diet. And there's all of these like things that you justify yourself with. And I think the calorie counting became the new age thing purely from the, the James Smith popularity, you know, to get onto like big publications, Amazon bestsellers and to get on TV shows and um, newspapers and the fitness chef as well, like Graham Tomlinson, like his popularity in terms of, and his like before and after, Um, infographics which he then just took and made into recipe books you know to have those Mm -hmm. things that prevalent that's why every man woman and dog is counting their calories.
0: yeah and i find obviously these people as well they tend to be very um polarizing in their like you know james smith and all of these other huge social media Uh, platforms tend to be very not all of them you know we've got the great people like Ben Carpenter and Sohee Lee and things like that Um, but we've got people such as James Smith and other people who are very polarized and very popular it's almost like you know just feeds into the the social media age one of the words I wrote down here is normalized and obviously when you were in CrossFit when I was in bodybuilding whatever kind of culture you've found yourself in it's usually culture is culture isn't it and if everybody does it, it it normalizes it so I guess how do you know whether or not you're in diet culture or not
1: yeah uh, I don't think you do because you're because because you're right you're, you're in a community in a culture that would deem that to be acceptable behavior and then it's really difficult to start teasing out these like fine lines because I know that there's a lot of people who have unfollowed me, disagreed with me, um, argued with me about like what is disordered eating and what isn't. Um, and it's then hard to tease out that, right? Because you could say to someone, well, okay, well, doing this isn't necessarily disordered, but like, Like So like missing breakfast, for example, okay, it's not necessarily disordered. Or like, okay, following a meal plan for a certain period of time, okay, it's not necessarily disordered. But disordered eating is the preoccupation with food, eating, not eating, and of one's shape and weight. And so it's like, how long does it take to progress into that place? And the people who are most lost within it will be the ones that will die on that hill and go, it's not disordered eating, I'm just taking care of myself. Like, I'm just eating healthy, I'm just exercising a lot i'm just uh i'm just disciplined and that's like their stake in the ground isn't it of like oh well disciplined is just a word the lazy used to obsessed is the word the lazy used to describe the disciplined or whatever like whatever that bullshit is that's the stake in the ground that you'll put yourself in like if you said to me in crossfit oh well this sounds pretty unhealthy for you to be tracking these macros or whatever i'd be like what the hell are you on about look at me i'm in the, the shape of my life mm. do you know what i mean I just don't oh, think to see it
0: then. And this, this is a social currency, I think, as well, because I remember <clears> when <throat> I did my last photo shoot, my last kind of serious thing in 2017, um, hmm. and it was a few... And I don't, like, maybe very differently you, I don't, like, kind. I know fine well, I just returned to normal, and I'm not... I wasn't really bothered. But I was getting asked, like, Ian, are you not that you lost that and I was like what you? obviously I was thinking you know to myself you do it first and foremost but I was thinking yeah. like there is such um emphasis put on this physical appearance and you know I've been I follow still some of the um YouTube stuff that talks about like TikTok fitness as a whole and the amount oh, yeah. of young boys if you'd like who are teens who are now jumping on trend and all sorts of drugs yeah Mm -hmm. like and obviously we've got bodybuilding we've got like probably the biggest name in the at the moment is someone like chris bumstead who and i and i still i'm a bit of a bodybuilding hobbyist i can appreciate somebody's work like that you know but yeah I don't look at that and think I want to be that, you know, I know what's went into that um, yeah. The amount of obviously the, the drugs, but also the amount of bodybuilders dropping dead these days as well. And athletes, I don't think CrossFit, yeah. the amount of drugs in CrossFit, maybe you can speak about that a little bit more, but like, I think because a lot of people see CrossFit as this more primal, functional, it's got maybe sits under a bit of a health halo. Um but I know fine well I can even look at some of these CrossFit athletes and I can see the muscle density. I think mm. about the volume of training. And I mm. just think just because mm. like they aren't like, you know, vascular and like ridiculously out of proportion and don't wear mm. a string of vest doesn't mean they're not taking um drugs.
1: Money makes people do ridiculous things right And there's a lot of money in crossfit at the top level and Mm. you can sound bitter and twisted sometimes when you bring this into the play particularly as someone who was who was like okay i trained very hard for a number of years and never really made it anywhere near close to being even at regionals let alone at the games and that will only make sense to people who know the the sport Um, or have looked into it. Like you said, with bodybuilding, bodybuilding is more open with their gear usage, particularly in the non-natural arena. Like even the recent Arnie documentary, he was like, everybody was taking steroids. So like, I just had to, to stay, stay up to date. And then you can still say that these people who are at the very top of their sports are outliers, right? You've got Lance Armstrong. He was like, I just had to take it because everyone was doing it. I still worked fucking hard. You don't take away their hard work. You just know that 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 assists their hard work. Like, as you said, with the level of training, it assists their recovery. It stops them from getting injured. It it increases adaptations to training. And um, with Arnie, it's really interesting watching the Arnie documentary because you look at his development even as a teenager in Austria, you know, in that first episode of The Three where they talk about the athlete. And you were like, fucking hell, still as a late teenager – just training every day in Austria. Like he had ridiculous development. Like he can't have been on steroids then or, or was he like, who the fuck knows? Like who the, who knows, like who he met in a forest in Austria. Do you know what I mean? He's like, yeah. you just don't know. Um And with CrossFit, you just don't know. Like you just, you just don't have a clue. And you're right. Like muscle density of these people, the training that they go into, like the level of concurrent training um even with really clever periodization of aerobic training strength training anaerobic training being on the right days and the right seasons like the level of fucking adaptation they re- they go to in all areas is like almost against all of the, the science of concurrent training that talk about interference effects mm. um you know <laughs> there were a lot of rumors uh, um about crossfit athletes and performance enhancing drugs there have been some people that have been done for doping in their testing, but after watching American Gladiators and, and knowing how poor their testing process was and how they were like, yeah, we've tested everyone. And then like yeah. needing to publish the results and know that CrossFit go through that same testing arena that they don't technically need to declare what they're testing for and they don't need to declare the results either. The few mm. people that have been popped, I feel have just been scapegoated really mm-hmm. <clears throat> more than anything else um and and being in the bodybuilding store um and knowing the kind of like world that you're in i know uh there was a bit of chat about who might be on what i never really asked too many questions and you talk there about young lads taking tren and things like that like i was so desperate to get lean i took thyroid hormone you know like i, t- I took pills of like t3 to try and improve my metabolism to try and lose more fat. I then, I then got scared shitless because my dad had an overactive thyroid disorder, um, which was like akin to his heart attack. So it's like, why the fuck am I messing around with something that's literally speeding up my thyroid and could put pressure on my heart when I've got family history of heart disease? Like this is fucking stupid. So I obviously stopped taking taking those, no idea what the long-term effects of that have in terms of your own metabolism you know when you're taking synthetic stuff um <clears throat> but i was even convinced to start buying like testosterone gel off of my um like bodybuilding owner you know like oh, like yeah you just rub this into your muscles and it's synthetic so it'll like sink into it and that'll give you the same effect and it's like who knows if that's even true ian but Besides. i believed it i yeah. believed
0: it uh, transdermal stuff that uh came and that's right, it. Didn't it
1: transdermal that was it
0: um yeah like obviously that that guy who owned the shop worked with everybody in (laughs) like all the top bodybuilders and things like and probably was giving the same meal plan out but you know maybe adjusting if if he could be bothered maybe i got i got
1: adjustments when my fat loss plateau lowered lowered potato amounts and things like that yeah yeah
0: but we hear about like people being given these meal plans and have somebody else's name on the top they forgot to change that on the word document or something like that it's like but it's almost sometimes that uh people um their ignorance around this as well as is, is super harmful this is why i think it's so important to you know you've got your podcast beyond the mirror we've got my podcast and other podcasts that are just kind of you know bringing this to light i'm just curious when was like the you mentioned there obviously about the t3 and um your dad and what was like kind of the big turning point for you that like kind of made you go and you said you were kind of between intuitive eating and fat loss and there was that kind of you know maybe put to and fro in your brain because you'd you mentioned there. I wrote it down identity because I think I struggled when I stopped being a bodybuilder. It's like, well, who Mm -hmm. the hell am I? Like what is my place in this world? So when was it that you were like, you know what? Yeah. I have to kind of really, you know, put my flag in the ground in regards to this, um, for, for yourself first and foremost.
1: And then as a, as a business also. Mm, Yeah. Good question. Because I did dance back and forth with timelines, right? So we're in 2023 at the recording of this episode. I'm 33 years old. Um, My dad died when I was 16. So that's 17 years ago and means that I've lived longer without him than with him, which is like a weird thing. Like that really hit me this year because it was the 20th of July, the anniversary of his passing as well. So it was quite recent. that that was like that milestone. Um, And my birthday's in July as well. So like, you know, like a whole host of emotions in July for me, Ian. Um, And my dad died of a heart attack and he was, um, he was a fat bloke at the time. And note for anybody listening to this as well, that I use fat neutrally now rather than as a way to add like bullying or stigma. But interestingly, he was much slimmer when he died, but he was much slimmer because of his thyroid issue. Right, so my dad worked incredibly hard, owned his own business, worked from, uh, worked from dawn until dusk, worked weekends, um, did very well, but worked a lot, and his only activity would be a game of village cricket on a Saturday, um, and and there was a joke that he was the only wicketkeeper they knew of who could have a fag in between overs. So, like, the over would be called, and as people were getting to their fielding positions, he could light up a cigarette, take a few puffs, then put it out, you know, put it in his pad or pocket or whatever, and then keep wicket, and he would do that throughout the cricket game. Like, he smoked like a chimney. Really did. So he smoked. um, He ate all right. My mum was on Weight Watchers, so, like, she would cook, like, balanced meals and things like that, but I think my dad snacked a lot, um, had a pretty bad relationship with food in terms of, like, a lot of like chocolate and biscuits and shit, like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I I don't know the timelines of the thyroid diagnosis because I haven't chatted to my mum a lot about it. But from what I can remember, I remember my dad losing weight, and um, they're not being overall a massive concern until it had got quite severe. Quite quickly, and then the doctors are like, "You have an overactive thyroid, and we need to get your medication." But I remember there being periods of my dad's life where he would maybe overeat, and then he would not take his medication because he'd be like, "Well, my, you know, I, I I'm not going to put fat on because my thyroid will sort, sort that out," you know. <laughs> so he did stupid shit like that, um and that's again that's pressure of like thinness. He probably got a lot of compliments for his thinner body from a lot of people.
0: Which one I think if if we're just like you know take a moment just to think about that like obviously your father's taking like a drug to you know keep him healthy yeah and he's not taking it because of the pressure around looking a certain way um, yeah you know like we hear about purging through people being sick or over exercising and things like this which in many ways is it's a variation or a very similar approach like this compensation uh, yeah this compensation
1: yeah and that's what so like going further into it like as I became more and more aware of my own habits when I was in my late 20s of what I was doing in my mid to late 20s of that like compensation through exercise that was very much my means so so when my dad died because it was a heart attack there's so much stuff around heart attacks, right? Like heart attacks being a fat person's disease, like diabetes, right? And um, my granddad had had a heart attack, but he'd survived his. And there was like a big thing about like, well, granddad survived his because he's slim. Like he's active, he's fit, he's healthy. um, Whereas dad wasn't. And so like, there was that big internalized anti-fatness then for me, that was like, because I'd had so much weight stigma up to that point already at the tender age of 16, I was very much like, I'm not going to have that outcome. Like that is not going to be me. Um, And so fat loss was just like my obsession, my life. So that 2015 Johnny who had shredded abs and all the rest of it was very much like, I have like, I've got to where I needed to be. Although I still wasn't in a normal weight BMI, which I think led to my obsession with getting below like 85 kilos. Cause that got me closer to that. Um, and, uh, yeah. So like, as I got older, as you said, there's a struggle of identity around being the fat loss coach. There was also a struggle of identity of not being the CrossFit athlete or the CrossFit coach. Cause there was a huge change in my day to day, um, routine and my social life just by giving up CrossFit coaching didn't realize how much of my social life was just completely tied into the CrossFit gym in terms of the people I only knew because I was a coach. And then I would hang out with people because we'd all go for like a beer together or you'd get invited to something on a weekend or whatever, but it was all because you were there at the CrossFit gym and then not being there led to a lot of that moving away. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, when you've built an entire business on helping people lose fat, when you start to, when you start to look at the potential harm of the methods used for that and the obsession that that creates, and you can look at that obsession that it created in yourself and that, that, that weight cycling it caused in yourself and that lack of self-trust and that, uh, you know, just that pure obsession and how narrow focused your life was because everything was geared towards that. Like when you leave all of that behind, it, it can be quite scary because in my opinion, I built up a a role, reputation and a business in being this guy that helped people with this outcome. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I towed the line for a while of like, yeah, let's lose fat, but let's do it in an intuitive way. Let's do it in a mindful way. Let's do it using mindful eating and eating skills and exercise and stuff. Um, and again, as I said, that slowly faded out really to more where I am now. So it was not a quick it was not a quick cut off for sure. And I think a lot of that was was me doing my own education or on on the other side, right? You don't, <laughs> it's, it's funny. I recorded a podcast for my podcast for tomorrow where I was like, I bet a lot of people look at some of the stuff I post now and go, this guy has gone fully mental because all of the things that we read are about how bad weight is and how we've got this really bad obesity epidemic and all the rest of it. And it's taken me a long time to read a lot of research and then to read a lot of, again, you could say, oh, well, is this the bias of people in the anti-diet space? But it's really interesting when you read a review of a research paper from somebody in the anti-diet space that shows, you know, the pitfalls in their conclusion or shows like, okay, well, this this paper didn't actually see this. And yeah, but you can improve weight without, sorry, you can improve health without losing weight. And for every paper that says otherwise, it's like they're actually not looking at what's in front of them. They're still just, Internalizing their own kind of weight bias because we're all we're all akin to that ourselves. So it's just really interesting. I don't know if yeah. that's even answered your question. I think
0: if something threatens somebody's identity as such, if they are just like uh, a huge like obviously on this obesity uh, campaign of mm-hmm. versus, if somebody comes out and critiques that. And mm-hmm. I also think like diet culture is like so strong and it's so woven through society that mm. anybody considered saying anything. It's, you know, the easy kind of argument is you're just, um, and I, I know you mentioned hairs there earlier, health at every size. Um, mm. People hear that and we're saying, no, it's, it's not healthy at every size because we know super lean people that are unhealthy and People that are at the other end of the spectrum that are unhealthy, you know? It's not about that, and that's not what we're saying. um, But I find it kind of, it's interesting when you go against the social social norm and obviously what everybody almost conforms with from a Mm -hmm. health perspective. Everybody hears that word, and I think they automatically just jump to a physical appearance and they don't consider all of the kind of the nuance involved. And I always say to my clients is like, I'm here to find what is really healthy for you. Um, And that's going to look very different from the next person. So that's where we start talking
1: about like values. Mm. Yeah. And that's a great point, Ian, because I think that's again, what you said that in our social norm, it's, it's finding somebody's health through the way they look. And that's the issue with um I mean that that issue is paraded through like our healthcare system of of people maybe not getting the treatment they need because of the size that they are or like someone assuming their health because of the size they are. As and as you said, you can get super lean people who aren't healthy. You and I chatted on my podcast about actually the lowered health we both experienced when we were at our leanest. Um, but not to mention you can get slim people people who don't exercise who smoke who drink loads who eat loads of of junk food um and you're like yeah you know your all of your health markers are really in the bin here um and you can get fat people who run marathons lift weights have like really healthy blood markers and you're like yeah well to all that to all sense and purposes there's nothing wrong with you and and that's more about what the health every size paradigm talks about it talks about how somebody goes into a doctor's office and they're always told they need to lose weight they're going to become obsessed with that rather than thinking about okay well what determinants of health are in their control Mm. food food, and exercise and how can they manipulate those things to give themselves the best shout possible because Mm. there are a lot of determinants of health that are outside of our control and even food and movement to a lot of people can be difficult to control based on their where they live how much they make how many jobs they have or what they have access to, you know, it's just such a bigger picture than there are a lot of fitness professionals out there who will get very defensive about, you know, calories in, calories out as I would have done in the past as well. Cause as you said, you're threatening their whole claim to help. Yeah, and sometimes their entire identity, their business
0: model. And if their money, yeah. and I think that's why it's so hard for a lot of people to pivot, even though, they may there's this kind of lack of congruence there between like what they are selling and what they believe in and that's probably mm-hmm. where you were and certainly where I've been is like you know what mm-hmm. once upon a time you're very like fat loss focused and you recognize that's what the majority of market want even if people don't have the fat to lose like yourself for example wanting to lose more weight uh, because for some reason you're attached so much worth to a smaller number. So I've worked with people who, you know, the, the think that they need to lose weight and you mm-hmm. completely change the perspective um, and you get them to recognize that actually they're perfectly normal and healthy. Um, and if anything, the work that you do with them makes them far healthier. Has there been any points like for you as recent or do you still come um, up with like, Many kind of negative thoughts about your body image because this sometimes people it's like love yourself, you know, and love your body and things like that. Mm. Is it more like right listening to the thoughts that you have around that, leaning into them, asking some questions in regards to like why you're feeling such ways about your body image? Um, do you ever get them sort of moments anymore?
1: yeah and I think it's natural to do so. Like I think that's part of like the work of helping people with their self image is understanding that your uh self image is gonna oscillate between like good feelings and bad feelings and and again, like the lived experience of people who are um fat is very difficult for a lot of us, smaller people to even fathom, like the kind of like constant judgment they face and and how they struggle to navigate the world and so then the whole like love your body type thing doesn't really land with a lot of them especially the, the ones i've chatted to and, and who i work with um and then it becomes more about a body acceptance and and a, a, a model that i've been looking at recently is called embodiment where it's more about like the connection of mind and body together as opposed to the separation of so so like the separation model was like first established by Descartes when he talked about how like they're separate things and the mind can be like very uh, scientific very strong-willed very um, logical whereas the body is like emotional and chaotic and has to be controlled by the mind And I think that's where a lot of fitness industry comes into it, right? Like willpower, discipline, science, utilize these like stronger mindset-based principles to control your body and to mold it and shape it into like what you want it to become, right? Like David Goggins, you can't hurt me. Fucking let's like run 10 marathons on a broken leg type stuff. Tony Robbins mindset, like all of that stuff comes from like those principles whereas this piece of embodiment is more like your mind and body are connected. And if you shift your focus on your body less around the way it looks per se, but more about the way that it functions and and the things that it does for you and, and can do. And this, and this amazing thing that you've got, you can then pursue, you can pursue cool things in that space. So like, if you want to run marathons, if you want to lift heavy weights, if you want to swim, uh, long distances. If you want to do any of those things, you can do those up to like the. You can train for those things, right? Like I'm not going to say that you can do anything you can put your mind to because you can't. Sorry, because there are going to be limitations there. Like you've got limitations of genetics and and all the rest of it. Like y- you've got your set of cards. You can express them the way you like for sure but you've then got to be understanding that 50 to 80 percent of your body is shaped by genetics and that's different to different people that's why you have outliers that's why you've got differences in studies that's why studies look at the average of results but if you shift your focus from a place of connection to a place of like acceptance and then expression i'm like if you focus on what your body can express i think that's a really cool thing and i found that Really helped me reconnect with training as well. To like, I'm going to reconnect with exercise in a way of like, what cool shit can I do with my body? You know, like gymnastics, weightlifting, aerobic conditioning. How can I do those things that help me live a larger life? Right. I love being fit because then I can go hiking and I can walk my dogs for longer distances and I'm better at cricket because I'm faster and I'm quicker between the wickets and I don't get tired as easily. And, you know, the shift is very much away from the aesthetic and more towards the function.
0: Yeah, I've got a client who just done a bit of a testimonial for me on, on LinkedIn and his, one of his things that he wrote, and this is the biggest thing. It's like, he's being able to play football with his grandson.
1: Right. You that's know, life.
0: And yeah. And that, that's kind of, that is life, you know? And I think we you mentioned there like the before and after pictures and stuff like that. of somebody looking all glum in their underwear on the left, typically. And then, some uh you know looking a bit leaner and happier on the right but i think these are snapshots and you know we'll look at pictures of you when you're your leanest on myself and mm. it's all it's it's hugely glorified you're in fantastic lighting maybe there's been some sort of editing there's some sort of short-term you know dopamine hit there of happiness and people automatically put the rest of the pieces together based off that image and associate well that's where it's at that's what i need to do but they don't realize Mm -hmm. all the other shit that's went on like these six-week transformation eight-week transformation programs where they're on a six meals per day diet plan eating plain cottage cheese um and then they get a before and after picture and then inevitably Mm -hmm. you don't see them eight weeks later because you never see the after the after photo. And usually those that have continued on in some sort of way have developed some sort of problem with eating Mm. or they have went so far the other direction and they've regained the weight, if not more, because there's some form of compensatory going on there, compensation for the, the, the mini famine that they put themselves in. Um, Mm. So for me, I don't even know where I'm going with this question. I've kind of lost it in the in the comment. I mean, I touched on there before and after pictures, but how can we, I guess, how can we start to kind of curate a healthier uh, mindset for people when it comes to navigating this challenging um, diet culture that we find ourselves in because it's thrown in our faces and celebrated lords. i just seen someone the, the other week of someone I know, it gets, it's guaranteed like 100 plus likes. Well done. You're so brave. You're so, you know, I wish I had your discipline. You know, you look at the comments and I read into them a little bit deeper. And, and you know, and it's seen as such a like, you know, it's like, they, it's like they didn't go to war. You, you know, like, it, but it's no. almost celebrated as such that the, you know, there's this huge amount of emphasis placed upon it.
1: It's difficult, isn't it, Ian? Because like you don't want to piss on people's chips. And when people go through these transformations, inevitably it is a lot of hard work. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you you know it is, and and I know it is. Like it is a lot of hard work to track your calories every day. It's a lot of hard work to step on the scales every day. It's a lot of hard work to measure yourselves every week. It's a lot of hard work to do a check-in every week. It's a lot of hard work to balance your calories every day um and it's a lot of mental and physical work and so it is a lot of hard work because it takes up your entire fucking life to do it and then that's what people disagree with me on if people like say hey well done and I then say well I don't use before and afters anymore and I don't congratulate people in weight loss people like why they worked hard for that and you're like it's not about that it's not about you know you could work hard on you can work hard on a test for example and get a great result and people say hey well done and like that's slightly different because we're celebrating their academic achievement and their hard work and we and can get into like parental models of like celebrating work over the result itself but also the work that's required for a transformation as you said can very much backfire in a lot of people because there are compensatory mechanisms your body goes through that are beyond your ability to control and they uh, affect different people differently, which is why when I say to personal trainers and people who have always been thin, it's like, if you put on a bit of weight because you've had a holiday or you've spent six months, not really going to the gym and not really living your normal life. And then you do this whole thing of like, Oh, here's my, here's my accountability post. Like I'm going to get back on it. I'll share what I'm doing. And then you lose weight six months later and you're like, Hey, here, here, here's what I did. And this can work for you too. It's like, that's got nothing to apply to an everyday person who has always struggled with their weight because they respond to things differently to you. They've got a different lifestyle, a different environment, a different set of genetics, or, you know, nothing could be further from the same. And the issue with celebrating before and afters is the idea of you are better this way. You look better. You're clearly healthier. You're clearly disciplined, successful, hardworking. And then it assumes that everybody who doesn't look that way aren't. It assumes that everybody who's fat is clearly lazy, unmotivated, eats loads of food all the time, doesn't exercise. And that's, 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 that's weight bias because that's not the case like people's experience of fatness are different I've got a friend who lives in Abu Dhabi and he, and he's put weight on and he's like oh yeah they call it the Dubai stone because you just go out and get pissed all the time and eat loads of like bad food and he, he doesn't exercise anymore because he's addicted to his job so he's at a desk all day he used to be a CrossFit athlete like I, I was like we used to do competitions together and he used to be obsessed with his macros because he was always called fat when he was younger as well And if anything, he has more of a fat bias than anyone. And he challenges me me the most out of anyone because he says, yeah, well, look at me. Like I've only gained weight because I'm, I'm here now. And I said, but when you were back doing CrossFit, you would message me daily asking me about your calories and asking me if you were doing the right things. Like you were super obsessed with it. And you trained twice a day while working a job in central Manchester and you walked everywhere. You did all of these things. And now you're living a desk job life and you've gained weight, there will be other people who have a desk job life, and they just stay thin. So do you see what I mean? It's like the the experiences are not the same for two people. And so when you go down the transformations, the before and afters, and the social currency, as you mentioned, of the image of one's body, you're just in you're up shit creek with that battle, in my opinion.
0: We talked about intuition, and I think, and I've found the more people have done this, for the longest of years, uh, you know, some of the clients I'm helping, 10, 20, 30 years of yo-yo dieting, they they are further and further disconnected from their own intuition. They don't even kind of recognize that term or they've got some sort of interpretation of what that means and they perceive, well, that's what I've been doing all along. And it's like, well, no, there's, there's a lot of principles that, of course, we don't have time to go into, today uh, but like I always say to people listen I want this to be kind of the complete opposite to what you've ever done in in the past so don't tell people that you're doing this you know like I want it to be because usually everybody starts doing something they may be even putting a social media post out on there like right I'm starting my fitness or I'm starting to do this or you know hashtag accountability but i think automatically when you put that spotlight on yourself you put an enormous amount of pressure on yourself um and that can be hugely problematic whether it's on social media or whether it's even within your circle of friends and i've worked with people and they haven't even told um their close friends what they're doing because they know the comments that are going to come um Mm. and i think a lot of people are also swayed by what other people think like you can do this yourself I had someone not work with me because their partner was like well you know what you need to do you you know you can do this yourself and this person had been struggling for like years and years and years and I'm like well I I can't argue and there's obviously discussions to be had on a relationship perspective there for them guys but if somebody's massively struggling with this and they have, like, perceived to have tried everything, like, Mm. my thoughts, if that was my partner, I'd be like, hey, you know, you go for it. You you need this. This is going to save you. But, like, what, what do you think about that, you know, about kind of this, I guess, more intimate approach, this more, like, reconnecting, this kind of very, I think it's also very, like, spiritual. It's very emotional. It's very um it it comes from a completely different place when it comes to regaining this intuition with with food and your body Mm.
1: yeah and as you said it's it's sometimes better not to tell people because i think when you tell people you welcome a lot of unsolicited comments and feedback about things like oh should you be eating that like are you not on a health journey or like oh how are you doing like you don't look like you've lost any weight i thought you were supposed to be working on your fitness and you one I mean? of like my all clients
0: of that yeah one of my clients was having a glass of wine and their friend said if my personal trainer knew I was having a glass of wine he would kick right off
1: Get a new personal trainer love <laughs> Jesus Christ but that's the thing right I remember overhearing a conversation when I was training in JDE gym in South Leeds and it was a personal trainer who was like massive right massive clearly bodybuilder Um, And he was giving his client this sheet of paper and the client was looking at it and he was like, is this turkey mince like dry? (laughs) And the personal trainer said, yeah, you can put a bit of tomato sauce on it, but don't do too much because there's a lot of sugar in it. And I was just like, fuck me. As I was leaving um, and going home to eat my tomato sauce. But yeah so you invite a lot of those comments and and keeping it within yourself sometimes is helpful I had a client again that she would make decisions at breakfast like with her colleagues where she would have maybe a bit more and and one of her colleagues was having like two pieces of bacon and that was it and he was like yeah but I'm watching my weight and she was like well you're just going to be starving in an hour and then you're just going to have all of the biscuits in the middle of the table and then you're going to feel like you've sabotage yourself so then you're just going to have loads of food at lunch and he's like you're right emma i probably will um so she's like so why don't you just order a bit more at breakfast and feel satisfied and he's like all right okay i will do and and then he did and and then he was like he got through the, that morning meeting like wasn't like needing to snack on anything and they had lunch together and he was like fucking hell emma like you've you've changed my life in like one morning and uh and it's funny that because because she hadn't really told anyone but they would comment on her food anyway because they knew like what she used to do versus what she was doing now and 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 that's funny isn't it because you said accountability and people feel like they need that they're like i need people to keep me accountable here you go like here's my accountability post it's like you don't like your coach can help you with that for sure but it's more about as you said it's a very intuitive emotional spiritual piece where it's like you're giving your trust back to yourself rather than outsourcing it to something else. Like you said, people have been dieting for 30, 40 years. Like I I can I can comfortably say that I dieted for like 15 years. You know, like for, if you do that for that length of time or more, of course you're going to wake up each day and not know what you, what, what to eat or like how much you should be eating, whatever. So you're desperate for the accountability so that someone mm-hmm. will tell you what to do so that you can outsource this decision that you've been obsessing about for so long. But the the role is not to, the goal is not to become unconscious with your eating habits or unconscious with your exercise habits. The goal is to bring your conscious self to those decisions. You said the word values earlier on in this episode, so that those decisions match your values on a day-to-day basis. And on a day-to-day basis, that's going to look different which is why it's not healthy to eat the same food every day at the same times every day, no matter if that brings you a certain aesthetic result, which may be deemed as healthy in the eyes of society.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, something that a lot of people really are challenged by is, like, I always say, listen, I don't want to be a variation of the same thing that you've always done, because that's always going to give you what you've always gotten.
1: and that's the the definition of insanity yeah I don't even know (laughs) a lot of words came out I don't don't want to be a a variation if you're always done with any other coach like if I if I just give you a meal plan or macros and a step target and tell you what to eat and when and then check in with you every week and slap you on the wrist if you've had a glass of merlot with the you know with your mates or a pint of beer with the lads then fuck me you're just going to get what you've always got which is some form of short-term success in air quotes and then a long-term hatred of your body because you're unable to maintain that
0: yeah and i think for me i don't want to represent anything like that so the people who i work with i've got to ensure that they are kind of permitted if you like to letting go of that like um type of approach towards diet and this is why I work with people for a longer period of time and work very differently like I see it more as a, a counseling and therapy thing rather than a, a coaching thing um you know I think quote co- the word coaching and even personal trainers lost its you know its meaning because of how I guess saturated things are right now in that mm. space so to differentiate yeah we potentially have to you know because we know people with their brains are looking for safety and security and they want to know what's going to happen whereas with intuitive eating it's it's about stepping men in many ways into the unknown
1: at mm. first
0: because like we are redeveloping trust and if your trust in food's been absolutely shattered that can feel like a huge um undertaking uh to go through but we know that like initial hard work pays dividends and we are looking forward to the next 15 years because we don't mm. want another 15 years of the same do we? or the variation so let's spend a good duration of time getting it right getting it understanding so you never need another thing again because you are you are done
1: yeah you put the trust back into yourself
0: rather than onto other things yeah and I think when you develop that intuition you mentioned there with your friend but you, you know yourself you're about to have a child so you have to have that self-compassion so your six meal plan six meals per day plan it won't work and you know when you are up at stupid o'clock in the morning you know the last thing you want to be doing is figuring out like your my fitness pal- pals for the next week and and all of this sort of stuff uh, listen Johnny I'm very conscious of time um and I feel like we've probably got so much more to kind of touch on, which is always the case, isn't it? But always I the do, way, yeah. I do genuinely hope a lot of people have taken a great deal for that. I just want you to kind of tell us um about your
1: Beyond the Mirror Club. Are you sticking with that name? Yeah. Because
0: I know you were kind of
1: <laughs> I quite like the name actually. I think I, like it, it. I think it I think it works well to to have it with the podcast as well as the same name. Um yeah so that this is something I'm developing at the moment. We're gonna open it next month, and it's the first thing I've seen in the health and fitness industry, which is like a intuitive program, but that's also a coaching program and a community in the same space so Any time that I did anything with larger volumes of people at once like a group coaching program, I was always very time based with it. It was always like a eight week or sixteen week or even. 26 week thing like the longest thing i did was a six month piece and as much as people enjoyed it and got things from it there was always that case of like oh hey you know like that two weeks focused on that i really could have done done with more time on um and there was always that piece of like the fitness industry's biggest fault is its myth of linear progression right of like mm. you need to be getting better every week and you need to be making improvements every week and that's not real life and so what I wanted to do was deliver this platform where people can come in and get what they need, right? For people who are looking to start intuitive eating, they might be people like you and I, right? Who are just like, we're just done with macros and meal plans and obsessing about those things and want to, to want to discover a way to trust themselves. Um, or there might be people who are, Fat people who are just done with years and years of yo-yo dieting, but they're not sure what they can do now because they're heavier. They feel uncomfortable. They feel like they need to lose weight because everybody's telling them to. Um, and but that, but all they want is for that like end that battle to end, but they want to feel safe in doing so, and they want to feel safe in their convictions to do so. So like they need different stuff, and so I want that all to come together in this place where they can take what they need and learn what they need and also get the support they need in group coaching calls, which would happen at different times in the month to allow different people to participate Um, and then really let that grow into a cool space where there are a bunch of people with the same ethos and mission and they can support each other through that as well.
0: Oh, so where can people find out about beyond the mirror club and also other areas where people can kind of find you
1: yeah so if you want to check out my podcast which you were a great guest on a couple of weeks ago ian that that podcast is called beyond the mirror um beyond the mirror club if you just go to my website next uh there a banner will pop down and it'll say find out more and you can click that banner um and if you check me out on instagram um which is just johnny landles uh j n n y l a n d e l s then uh, people can find out more about my content and yeah it's, i speak about beyond the miracle daily there now because it's just going to be so good i just need to tell people about it every day
0: good Man, <sighs> well um i wish you the best of luck and i'll put everything in the show notes that, everybody says that but i'll do it <laughs> uh.
1: yeah thanks mate
0: No, but thank you you very much, Johnny. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to speaking to you again. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much, Johnny. As Johnny said, um, he has Beyond the Mirror Club. He also has Beyond the Mirror podcast. On top of that, please do check out his social media, particularly his Instagram, is fantastic. Um, if you are sick and tired of the diet roller coaster, I'm also going to put a link to my personal diet scorecard in here so that you can listen, uh, so that you can fill that in. There's nothing to listen to. You can fill that in and you can assess your relationship with food right now off the back of that you will get a couple of things just saying thank you um, but also i would just love for you to share this episode around share subscribe all of that good stuff again big thank you to johnny and i will catch you all next time